Season's greetings, everyone. It's that time of year again. No matter what you're celebrating this holiday season, Amazon has gifts for everyone. Go to D2RPN.com and click the Amazon banner and help out the D2R Podcast Network. Happy holidays from everyone here at the D2R Podcast Network. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. It's that time of year again, and if your guy or your girl's got a beard and you want to celebrate with them, why not buy them some Phoenix Beard Oils? We've got great holiday scents that make you just cream your jeans. So check out phoenixbeardoils.com and give somebody the bird for the holiday season. Ho, ho, motherfucking ho. Do you have a question, comment, or concern? 872-242-8311. Or maybe you'd just like to hear your voice instead of ours. 872-242-8311. Then call the D2R Podcast Network hotline at USA Chat 311. That's 872-242-8311. 872-242-8311. No matter the time or day, you can call 24-7 and operators will be standing by. 872-242-8311. Your call is important to us. 872-242-8311. So once again, USA Chat 311. 872 242 8311. 872 
C Stubbs A-List. Step up to the star status you deserve and see up to three movies every week. See any movie at more than 600 AMC theaters nationwide, even on our biggest and best screens. With A-List, that hard-to-get ticket to the next big movie could be yours. Make free reservations online for these movies and more. Coming soon to an AMC near you. For a long time, I sat between the two graves and wept. The pain I felt was my father's pain. My questions were my brother's questions. Their struggle, my birthright. Obama has a dream, a dream from his father, that the sins of colonialism be set right and America be downsized. Tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. America has a dream from our founding fathers that together we must perfect liberty and America must grow so liberty grows. Which dream will we carry into 2016? Who are these Democrats? Dinesh D'Souza was sentenced on Tuesday to spend eight months in a confinement center. It all began when the Obama administration tried to shut me up. No gang's all about stealing, man. What did I learn? All crime is about stealing. The big criminals are still at large. Didn't uh, see any reason to keep them. The system doesn't go after them they run the system. It's time to go behind the curtain and discover the soul of the Democratic Party. Fifty lashes. The Democrats support slaves. This Civil Rights Act will allow colored men to sit at the same table beside the white guests. Tammany all Democrats who are now furnishing arms to the Ku Klux Klan. To the Democratic Party. Why has all this been swept under the rug? To cover the tracks of the Democratic Party. 
And we're not even talking about ancient history. The racism continued well into the 20th century. That as long as the black man continue to ravish our white women, we will continue to lynch him. We've got to give him a little something. Plantation politics. The Democrats went from slavery to enslavement. Corrupt big city bosses, that's how you get corrupt unions. What does progressive actually mean? Social engineering and social control. The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. The opening video of the Democratic Convention in 2012, government is the one thing we all belong to. No, government belongs to us. We don't belong to it. What are these Democrats hiding? This is about buying and selling influence by foreign oligarchs and foreign governments. When you follow the money, there are very, very few coincidences. What if the goal of the Democratic Party is to steal the most valuable thing the world has ever produced? What if their plan is to steal America. Who will stop them now? Lincoln was elected to unite a country and stop slavery. Democrats smeared him went to war against him, assassinated him. Now, their target is Trump. Donald Trump wins the presidency. So help me God. They say he's killing America. There will be a vote to impeach. They say he's a racist. This was a white lash. And a fascist. Who are the real racists? Northern Democrats had conspired together with Southern Democrats to take away the fruit of other people's labor. Who are the real fascists? Both Mussolini and Hitler set up and ran welfare states. This is done by the do-gooders, the liberals, the people who wanted to improve society. Which party attacks our free speech? Our religious liberty and our personal safety. A nation dies when its people are not free. We too must fight for freedom, regardless of the price we pay. An end in terror is preferable to a terror with no end. The stakes could not be higher. We're talking about America, the greatest nation on earth. Lincoln saved America for the first time. It's now up to us to save America a second time. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. I have a dream. Ask not what your country can do for you. 
Ask what you can do for your country. Hold on, Jackie Robinson. The war with Germany has ended. The forces of freedom have triumphed. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. All men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Imagine the unimaginable. What would the world look like if America did not exist? America. If you're looking forward to those movies, you should be on the AMC Stubbs A-List. Find a crew member after the show and ask how you can get credit for this movie. And to our millions of AMC Stubbs members, a very special thanks to you. We hope you're enjoying your status, exclusive benefits, savings, and rewards. At the movies, the feature is on the big screen. So please remember, don't text. Don't post. Don't talk. Don't ruin the movie. Thank you.
werde für immer mit dir sein. with the world. I wondered why nations live and nations die. How do you kill a nation? Like Germany. It destroyed several other nations before being destroyed itself at the end of World War II. Even powerful empires perish. Where's the Roman Empire today? or the Soviet Union. Nations can be destroyed from the outside by invasion and conquest, or they implode from within 
by losing what makes them distinctive. I wonder if that could ever happen to America. When I first came to America as a 17-year-old, I knew I was coming to a special place. I didn't know much about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, any of that. I liked it here because I liked the people. I saw Americans as independent, hardworking, self-reliant. Americans are fiercely individualistic, but they're also fiercely attached to family and faith, to community and to country. That's what the national anthem symbolizes and the flag, that we're one country and we're in this together. This is the America I know and love, but can it last? Those in America who want to end the America we love. They believe America is defined by class oppression and white supremacy. They want, in Obama's phrase, to remake America. For this to happen, America as we know it must die. Who will stop them? Billionaire Donald Trump is hitting the presidential campaign trail. Yep, he says he may run for president. Do it. Do it. Do it. And which Republican candidate has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. That he might be leading the Republican ticket next. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but I want to go on. <laughs> There's not going to be a President Donald Trump. Um, that's not going to happen. Donald Trump is not going to be President of the United States. Take it to the bank. Okay. I guarantee it. All right. All right. Well, at real Donald Trump. At least I will go down as a president. Everyone had a good laugh at Trump, but not the American people. 20,000 people turned out last night at a football stadium in Mobile, Alabama to hear Republican frontrunner Donald Trump. Yeah, I feel like a billionaire already. <laughs> Show them how many people come to these rallies. Turn them. Go ahead, turn them. Go ahead. Trump and his voters at a bar. We have a movement like they've never seen before. So right now we have Hillary's about a 75 or an 80 percent favorite with different versions. Yeah. Uh, is it fun to be in a Trump rally? Where? I mean, is this the thing? He's just not going to win the general election of this mode. Not even close. The hell we They believe Trump would fight for their America. So they stayed with him, and it drove the left. Nuts. None of us thought we were going to be here, but we are. Especially her. Why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Trump and his supporters were in it together. I am your voice. I am with you. I will fight for you. And I will win for you. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. 
We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you. To be honest, I didn't think Trump would win. Hillary had total control of the Democratic machine. Be reflected in Her foot on Sanders' throat. The sycophant in Hollywood and media. How do you fight against all that? From NBC News, Decision Night in America. First and foremost, it's finally here. We're here with the Javits Center, which is Hillary Clinton's election party site. There's a sense of building excitement, and I mean building excitement. No, this is conservatives waking up and smelling a coffee and go, oh, right, our candidate was a moron. And we have our first projection that Donald Trump will win in Kentucky. Okay, how Kentucky? Who can? Small. It's small. But he's winning. Beginning to go down a little bit, but still holding. So that's good news. Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, Trump, we project will win. Texas, Texas, Anderson, this night is turning out to be a real nail biter. That Donald Trump is leading Hillary Clinton among white women in Ohio, North Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia. Does that surprise you? Kid, you should be nervous. It's not kidding around anymore. Louisiana, Montana, Missouri, Ohio. Are you shitting me? At the end of the day, you had your projection above 70% for Hillary Clinton. Where is it right now? But the crowd now much more subdued here this evening. Donald Trump will carry the state of Florida. All right, we have another major projection right now. Donald Trump will carry the state of North Carolina. Oh, wow. Can, can we go back to Michigan? I'm not sure I saw it correctly. Was that it? Uh, having a post, what happened to your f***ing 98.4%? CNN now projects that Donald Trump will carry the state of Wisconsin. He's cracked the so-called blue wall. You pathetic losers! We Pennsylvania! Pennsylvania! Some big news here, Megan. Huge news. Uh, actually, the AP now projecting that Donald Trump has won the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, Pennsylvania was called for Donald Trump. It's over. Okay. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. I was happy he won. My film, Hillary's America, an expose of Hillary and the Democratic Party, played a role. But Trump made it happen. And when he won, that fact did not sit well with the left. You're awake, by the way. You're not having a terrible, terrible dream. Also, you're not dead and you haven't gone to hell. This is your life now. This is our election now. This is us. This is our country. It's real. Everybody is crying and so upset. Scared, depressed, despair. America is crying tonight. She deserves to be the first female president. And that's what makes me so sad. I'm sorry, I hate crying. I can't remember. Get your abortions now. This sucks. People I'm speaking to think it's absolutely catastrophic. Boastful, bullying, coarse, crude. That's the way they're going to see America. So ugly American, ugly American, from slavery to you know, Nazism. We are not going to be okay. Feels like the end of the world. There are demonstrations in major American cities across the country tonight over the election of Donald Trump. Again, the left turned to violence. Yeah. Is there a doomsday plan? We're going to 
and we're going to go after him in every conceivable way. A Trump presidency is unthinkable and dangerous and damaging, so basically anything we do to stop that is perfectly fine, whether it's ethical or not, whether it's legal or not, it doesn't matter. The political left immediately set out to reverse the election results with a sequence of strategies. Today, Jill Stein of the Green Party called for recounts in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That recount actually increased Trump's lead. Thank you. Thank you, darling. There were countless stories of Trump losing the popular vote. Donald Trump won fair and square. How did he win fair and square? Hillary had more votes. And they tried this. Republican members of the Electoral College, this message is for you. Maybe they could convince Trump electors not to vote for him. I'm going to talk to an Electoral College voter next who says it's gone as far as death threats. The votes are 10 votes, Donald J. Trump. Yes, shame on the American people for voting for Trump. Shame on you. Tens of millions of Americans are totally fine with a man who is driven almost purely by racism and sexism and Islamophobia. I genuinely do not understand how America can be this disorganized or this hateful. I have no respect for women who voted for Trump, okay? I just think you're dumb, okay? I think you're f***ing dumb. How do you think people are going to vote if you talk to them that way? <laughs> More than 50 House Democrats boycotted the inauguration of President Trump, although the left did show up to riot. My anti-bias, this is what the anti-Trump movement is. This total anarchy in the streets. Preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God, so help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The left couldn't keep him from being sworn in as President of the United States, so they turned to impeachment. Next week, there will be a vote to impeach. It's obviously, a, it's no small matter when we're talking about impeachment with the President of the United States. You could write it down in stone. He will not finish his first term. The Democrats will take over, and they can launch impeachment in 2019 without a single Republican vote. Robert Mueller's Russia probe will eventually re reveal misdeeds that are impeachment worthy. Everyone is colluding with Russia except Trump. Here's Donald Trump. Donald. Maybe the sexual harassment stuff would finally stick. But we knew we weren't electing a choir boy. There's a new report alleging that Lisa Bloom solicited funds to pay off women who would then accuse the president of sexual assault. How about the 25th Amendment? Because, you know, Trump is crazy. The amendment says the president can be removed if majority of the cabinet determines that he is unfit. This is a dangerously emotionally and, and mentally unstable individual here. All this may seem unprecedented, but we've been here before. In 1860, America elected the first Republican president. Then, too, Democrats viciously attacked him. They called him an extremist and an authoritarian. Some sought to break up the country rather than accept his election. Lincoln saved America for the first time.
how, by tragic necessity, Trump is in a similar situation. What will the Democrats try this time? Look at this Hitler speech and we've translated it for you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to make Germany great again. 90% of what he says, unlike this guy, gets it. He's going to take our economy from here to here. Yeah, he's definitely taking it to a higher level. I'd say his support is about, uh, about up there, right around here. Donald Trump is flirting with fascism American style. There's a word for this, Ashley. It's fascism. And they don't just call him a fascist. Do you think President Trump is a racist? I think he is a racist. This was a white lash against a changing country. The president is, quote, a white supremacist, and that his rise is, quote, a direct result of white supremacy. There it is. Racism and fascism. And we've heard it before. These incendiary accusations have been used for a generation to shame and smear Republicans, conservatives, Christians, and patriots. Is voting for Trump like voting for Hitler? Did Trump win because of fascism and white supremacy? Did he revive the worst strains of America's history of racism? Wouldn't that justify the left in rejecting the results of the election? But if they're wrong, if America is good, aren't we morally obligated to defend her? The stakes could not be higher. We're talking about the fate of the greatest nation on earth. Who are the real fascists? Who are the real racists? We must learn the truth. For progressives today, fascism is on the right, a philosophy of nationalism and authoritarianism. They call Trump a fascist because he's a nationalist. But so was my countryman Gandhi. So was Mandela and Winston Churchill. Lincoln was a nationalist. Were these men fascists? We've had authoritarian leaders since the beginning of time, but few were fascists. Look, Trump gets flayed in the media every day. Real authoritarians would have shut that down. So authoritarianism and nationalism don't exhaust the meaning of fascism. To go deeper, I sat down with progressive historian Robert Paxton, former head of Columbia University's history department. Paxton is no fan of Donald Trump. We have a group in America today, Antifa, which fashions itself anti-fascist. Yes. It drives speakers off the campus. Outwardly, it seems like there is some resemblance to Mussolini's black shirts, and the mission appears the same. In other words, to enforce a kind of ideological conformity by roughing up your opposition. Do you see a parallel between Antifa and the fascists that they claim to be fighting? I think there's some tactical overlap. As soon as you start uh, wearing a uniform and beating people up, you're obviously in fascist territory. Now, does fascism matter today? Yes. Some people have said we are living through a fascist moment or a fascist strain in American politics. Are you worried that that's true? But that, the fascist label seems to me to overlook two very important differences. One is the fascist regimes did not want uh, a free economy. They had a regulated economy and they had what was called corporatism. Uh, they, and all the uh, business enterprises were required to participate in five-year plans. And that is the opposite of what's going on. So the principles of the American founding, the separation of state and society, mm -hmm. limited government, Yes. individual rights 
property rights, free markets. Would you agree that this is what the fascists hated? The fascists and a lot of other people believed that these things had, had failed, and they were they uh, were determined to propose an alternative that would revive their country. Dateline: Rome, October 31st, 1922. Italy was a sitting duck for an ex-communist named Benito Mussolini. The lantern-jawed founder of fascism took advantage of the political unrest in Italy after World War One. Mussolini directed a march on Rome. The next step was complete dictatorial control, a step which the Italian black shirt leader took without a second thought. Um, when Mussolini started out, he was a Marxist, he was a socialist, he yes. was the editor of the socialist newspaper. Yes. He had a long background in socialist politics, right? right? Exactly. Mussolini allied himself with an intellectual, Giovanni Gentile. Yes. Gentile famously said, everything in the state and nothing outside the state, which yes. Mussolini himself later repeated. How would you interpret this doctrine of sort of centralized state power? Mussolini uh, and the people who rallied to his cause, and this included some highly educated people like Giovanni Gentili, they were absolutely determined to make Italy strong as it would come about by a central authority and, and direction. And I think that the state uh, was the instrument by which they thought that uh, Italy would be regenerated. And loyalty to the state is the vehicle to mobilize that inner soul. Yes. Mussolini was responding to what historians call the crisis of Marxism. Marx predicted that worker revolts would erupt in every industrialized country. But this never took place. Marx thought workers around the world would identify with each other on the basis of class. He rejected nationalism, saying a working man has no country. But Gentile, though himself a socialist, noticed that during World War I, working men fought for their own country. Mussolini and Gentile concluded that a new type of socialism was needed that would fuse nationalism and socialism. They called it fascism. And this is why socialists and progressives in America, many of whom had given up on orthodox Marxism, were drawn to fascism. In the working out of a great national program that seeks the primary good of the greater number. Our new president at the time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was infatuated by Mussolini. He called him that admirable Italian gentleman. I am much interested and deeply impressed by what he has accomplished and by his evidenced honest purpose in restoring Italy. Mussolini reviewed FDR's book in an Italian magazine. His conclusion, FDR is one of us, he's a fascist. FDR dispatched members of his brain trust to Rome to study Italian fascism with a view to importing some of it here. Rexford Tugwell, one of FDR's closest advisors, after returning from Italy, observed, Fascism is the cleanest, neatest, most efficient piece of social machinery I've ever seen. It makes me envious. The head of FDR's NRA, or National Recovery Act, Hugh Johnson, spoke of the shining example of Mussolini. He carried fascist literature in his pocket, and he called for the end of free market capitalism in America, 
He empowered industrial committees in every industry to set wages and prices and report to the federal government. Clearly, FDR recognized fascism was on the left. He saw it as more progressive than the New Deal. Mussolini was clearly a man of the left. But what about the ultimate fascist of them all, Adolf Hitler? Was he a man of the left? To figure this out, we must go to Europe. reformed here in Schwabing in the atmosphere of bohemianism and sectarian socialism. The communist Lenin lived here in exile. Hitler and Lenin both frequented the same pub. Lenin famously didn't pay his bar tab. Imagine Lenin sitting here arguing with friends on how to save communism. Lenin lived just a block up the street. Hitler lived a block over. Hitler changed the name of the German Workers' Party to the National Socialist German Workers' Party. The very term Nazi is a compression of two words, Nazional and Socialista. Check out the official Nazi platform. State-controlled healthcare, profit-sharing for workers and large corporations, moneylenders and profiteers punished by death, State control of education, state control of media and the press, state control of banks and industries, seizure of land without compensation, state control of religious expression. This reads like something jointly written by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Read the Nazi platform at the Democratic National Convention and most likely it would provoke thunderous applause. Like Mussolini and Lenin, Hitler was anti-big business, anti-bourgeois, and anti-capitalist. But unlike Mussolini and Lenin, Hitler was also a racist. His racism, too, was rooted in his hatred of capitalism and business. He called the Jews greedy bankers. Hitler set out to destroy the Jews, confiscate their wealth, and redistribute it through Nazi, socialist, and welfare state programs. Another group Hitler hated were the communists. Not because they were socialists, but because they took their orders from Moscow. His thuggery started right here at Schellingstrasse 50, Hitler's Nazi headquarters. saw the communists as traitors to Germany. He was a national socialist, and they were international socialists. He patterned his brown shirts both on Mussolini's black shirts and on the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, 
The Nazi brown shirts and the Klan were both about the same size, two to three million members. Both groups targeted a vulnerable minority. In the case of the brown shirts, Jews. In the case of the KKK, blacks. And both groups were extensions of a political party. In the case of the brown shirts, the Nazi party. In the case of the Klan, the Democratic Party. In November of 1923, Hitler and his brown shirts took over the Burger Braukeller, a popular Munich beer hall. members marched on Munich to seize control. They were met by police. Hitler was arrested and sent to Landsberg prison, a formative period in his life. Here, Hitler dictated Mein Kampf to his fellow prisoner, Rudolf Hess. Der Nationalsozialismus ist der Entschluss, eine neue Menschen zu erschaffen. Dort wird kein Wille mehr existieren. Keine Königreiche, in denen das Individuum sich selbst gehören wird. Die Zeit des Glücks als private Angelegenheit ist vorbei. See how remote all of this is from the principles of Abraham Lincoln and the American founding? Hitler, however, had a much greater affinity for progressives and Democrats. It was here Hitler got a big idea from the Democratic Party, one that would shape his murderous campaigns. According to Pulitzer Prize-winning biographer John Toland, Hitler often praised the extermination of the Red Savages who could not be tamed by captivity. 
Hitler admired how Jacksonian Democrats gunned down the millions of redskins to a few hundred thousand and now keep the modest remnant under observation in a cage. His idea was to do to the Poles, the Slavs, the Eastern Europeans, and the Russians precisely what the Jacksonian Democrats did to the Indians. Hitler came to power in 1933. On the other side of the Atlantic, another charismatic leader, FDR, was elected. The two men recognized each other as fellow progressives. Here's what the Nazi newspaper, Volkischer Beobachter, said of the FDR administration. We too, as German National Socialists, are looking toward America. The Nazi paper congratulated FDR for replacing the uninhibited frenzy of market speculation with the adoption of National Socialist strains of thought. Of FDR's New Deal, the Volkischer Beobachter said, we fear only the possibility that it might fail. Hitler quickly consolidated his power. He executed leaders of the brown shirts who had challenged his authority. This was the famous Night of the Long Knives. Progressives try to portray Hitler as a right-winger by insisting he was anti-gay. But Hitler knew that the brown shirt leader, Ernst Röhm, was a notorious homosexual, as were many other brown shirts. When Hitler showed up to arrest Röhm, he encountered a remarkable scene. suggested that he, not Hitler, was the true leader of the Nazi party. When Heinrich Himmler urged Hitler to purge the gay brown shirts out of the Nazi movement, Hitler refused. Hitler said he didn't care what the brown shirts did in private as long as they were good fighters. Hitler was no social conservative. Earlier we saw what Hitler learned from the Democrats, but was there anything he learned from American progressives? Investigative journalist Edwin Black, the son of Holocaust survivors, is the author of The War Against the Weak. Now, you have written that eugenics in America, this is true in other parts of Europe as well, was a progressive cause. Progressive in what sense? Progressive in every sense. This was not done by people who thought that they were race haters. This was done by the do-gooders, the liberals, the people who wanted to improve society. Margaret Sanger, a progressive who wanted to help humanity, and her approach to doing that was to wipe away the existence of two-thirds of all people. You mean two-thirds of the entire American population? Yes, of course. And she actually explicitly said this? Of course. She wanted to get rid of human weeds. She wrote about this extensively. 
at one point Hitler wrote fan mail to one of her colleagues on her board and said, uh, your writings are my Bible. Now this is Madison Grant, the head of the New York Zoological Society. Tell me about the meeting between Madison Grant and Whitney, another prominent eugenicist. Madison Grant is discussing his fan mail from Adolf Hitler, and Whitney has an identical letter just like it. And so they both have letters in which Hitler thanks them. All these eugenicists saying, we have had a dramatic impact on Germany. And you quote an American progressive eugenicist basically saying, hey, whoa, we've got to pick it up. The Nazis are beating us at our own game. That's right. While we were pussyfooting around, the Nazis were beating us at our own game. Why is it the case today, if I open a Planned Parenthood brochure, I get a completely different picture of Margaret Sanger than anything that you've described? What's going on is the reshaping and the falsifying of history. The Nazis also invented history. There's a role for people like me and a role for people like you. We spend our lives trying to authenticate the real history. We've learned how Hitler got his murderous conquest scheme from the Jacksonian Democrats. We've also learned how he got eugenic schemes from left-wing progressives. But what does Nazi racism owe to the Democratic Party? I went to see the historian and sociologist Stefan Kuhl, who has developed an international reputation for books like The Nazi Connection. I met with him in Munich. What was the essence of the Nuremberg Laws? These are the laws of 1935. What did they seek to do? They actually gave uh, a first definition of what is a Jew. It was not very easy for the Nazis to define what is a Jew. Meine Herren, wir sind hier, um Gesetze zu schaffen, die es uns Deutschen ermöglichen, das jüdische Problem zu lösen. Für solche Gesetze gibt es keine Präzedenzfälle, weder in Deutschland noch in irgendeiner anderen industrialisierten Nation. Wie können wir das Gesetz nutzen, um die Bürger und ihre Rechte zu bringen? Wir haben einen Präzedenzfall. Das ist unser Plan. Subjekte ohne Bürgerrechte. Warum die Juden absondern? Das Gesetz kann einfach alle Michel verbieten. Wenn wir spezifische Bezüge auf die Juden vermeiden, hilft es uns, internationale Unterstützung zu bekommen. Unsinn! Die Amerikaner separieren die Afrikaner ganz eindeutig. So können wir die Juden separieren. Und wer ist dann ein Jude? Hm? Eine Person mit jüdischem Vater, aber deutscher Mutter? Macht das einen Juden aus? Wie identifizieren die Amerikaner einen Nägel? Die Eintropfenregel. Jede erkennbare Spur schwarzer Abstammung heißt, dass man als Schwarzer gilt. Menschliche Herde. Auch wenn jemand weiß aussieht und sich wie ein Weißer benimmt, kann er immer noch als Schwarze gesehen werden. Die Eintropfenregel ist wohl zu streng. 
Wir können diese Blutzählung auf drei jüdische Großeltern beschränken. The Nazi Nuremberg Laws were directly modeled on the segregation laws of the Democratic Party. Every segregation law in the American South was passed by a Democratic legislature, signed by a Democratic governor, and enforced by Democratic officials. As for the Democratic one-drop rule, incredibly, the Nazis found it too racist even for them. As is well known, the Nazis also hated freedom of speech. The Nazi concept was called Gleichschaltung, which means bringing all the cultural institutions in line with Nazi ideology. This was the significance of the Heil Hitler salute and the draping of swastika flags off balconies. These things signaled humble conformity to Nazi doctrine. What happened to dissident views on the German campus? The elite theory schlägt vor, dass eine kleine Minderheit von politischen und ökonomischen Experten die meiste Kraft besitzt. Nicht demokratisch gewählte Führungskräfte. Jüdische Propaganda! Raus hier! Das ist mein Klassenzimmer! Du hast keine Rechte! Dieses Klassenzimmer gehört für! Movements to crush dissent can quickly escalate from episodic violence to mass murder. Hitler's Night at the Broken Glass was justified as a lawful confiscation of firearms. This made Jews defenseless against Nazi assault. Then Hitler could carry out his goal to burn Jewish businesses, destroy synagogues, and eliminate Jews as a competitive threat in the German economy. Hitler didn't just target synagogues, he also targeted Christian churches. Many people don't know this because they bought the progressive line that Hitler was a Christian. When coming to power, Hitler knew he needed Christian support, and so he feigned public belief in Christianity. But privately, in a series of recordings, Hitler railed against Christianity as a destructive institution, contrary to science, and the natural law of survival of the fittest. Once in office, Hitler persecuted Christians. His ultimate aim? the total destruction of Christianity in Germany. As a progressive, Hitler despised religious liberty. Nazism was his religion. With Germany the high altar, and Hitler himself the doomed Messiah. Hitler was no Christian. American progressives cheered Hitler's rise to power. They saw fascism with its social control and its glorification of the centralized state as a model for the future. With total control of the people in place, Hitler could now implement his master plan. Thank you.
1939, he invaded Poland. Within two years, he and Mussolini controlled continental Europe. Japan was at war with China. Fascism was on the march across the world. Soon, Hitler would declare war against America. Once Hitler acquired war captives, he saw a way to implement his own slave plantation, which he called the concentration camp. Concentration camps, which were forced labor camps, should be distinguished from death camps, whose sole purpose was extermination. What was the origin of these death camps? As Minister of Interior, directed a program aimed at aged, insane, or incurable Germans, the so-called useless eaters. Thousands were committed to special institutions. Few ever returned. Evidence proves they were murdered because they were useless to the plans of the Nazi conspirators. Let's turn to the Nazi euthanasia laws. First of all, would it be accurate to say that we aren't talking about real euthanasia? Without consent, neither of the parents nor of the handicapped himself, yeah. So euthanasia was a pure euphemism. We just started. Yes, it was killing. It was a killing program. They started the killing of mentally handicapped before on a very low scale level but uh, started systematically with the killing of mentally handicapped after the beginning of the Second World War. And isn't it, isn't it true to say that the, some of the personnel who administered the euthanasia camps were also then later deployed to the so-called death camps that were used on a much larger industrial scale? That's very clear. We have a technology, technology transfer and a personal transfer from the killing of mentally handicapped to the killing of Jews. And especially the whole stuff operating the gas chambers, for example. Let me ask you about Joseph Mengele, the notorious Nazi doctor at Auschwitz. When you read about him, he saw himself as, as a progressive, somebody advancing not only the cause of science, but the future benefit to humanity progressive idea was very strongly part of the Nazi ideology. Would it surprise you if I were to tell you that after the war, Mengele went down to South America, where he actually had a sort of career as, as an abortionist? No, not at all. In classic progressive fashion, Mengele made an easy transition from one form of killing to another. Once American and Allied troops liberated the concentration camps, once the world saw these ghostly, emaciated, starving figures emerge from those camps, Nazism, fascism, and theories of racial superiority were permanently discredited. Immediately following the war and the Nuremberg trials held here in room 600, the full horror of fascist and Nazi atrocities was put before the world. The United States of America present count one of the indictments. 
that all the defendants participated as organizers or accomplices in a common plan or conspiracy to commit crimes against peace, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. Fascism became the quintessential reference point for human evil. Had ihnen Hitler ausdrücklich verboten, das Memorandum am Polen vom 30. August Opposition political parties which might defeat or obstruct the policy of the Nazi party. Das haben sie durchaus richtig verstanden. Hermann Wilhelm Göring, on the counts of the indictment which you have been convicted, the rule sentences you to death by hanging. American progressives were in a panic. They realized that if future generations of Americans knew the intimate connection between progressivism and the Democratic Party on the one hand, and the fascists and Nazis on the other, they would be finished. And so, taking a page from Hitler himself, they settled upon the idea of a big lie. First, they would muddle the meaning of fascism itself. They would take the socialism out of national socialism. Second, they would move fascism from the left-wing column, where it had always belonged, into the right-wing column. But we must not believe that big lie. The fascists and the Nazis were always on the left. They formed a mutual admiration society with the American left. Even worse, the most destructive and genocidal schemes of the fascists and Nazis were inspired by American progressives and the American Democratic Party. That is the crushing historical truth. Now we go from the left's big lie about fascism to its big lie about racism. Progressive Democrats typically blame racism on America and on the founding. But were the founders to blame for the elaborate system of slave plantations? Historian Alan Gelzo teaches at Gettysburg College and is the author of several award-winning books on the Civil War. If we speak of the founders as a whole, would it be accurate to say that they believed A, slavery is on a path of extinction, and B, that slavery is a, a regrettable thing, a bad thing, they were confident that slavery was going to disappear because it is a contradiction of our fundamental principles. Are you saying that there really wasn't a formal pro-slavery ideology at the time of the founding? There's no pro-slavery philosophy that works into the founding. The founders took specific measures to restrict slavery. They outlawed the slave trade. They prohibited slavery in the vast Northwest Territories under the Northwest Ordinance, and they mounted such a strong critique of slavery that by the end of the founding era, slavery went from being a national to a regional institution. Then this happened. All over the world, the impact of this simple invention was felt almost immediately. Eli Whitney put together a few boards and rollers and gave the world a giant industry. Cotton was king. This new expanded plantation system demanded a political party to defend its interests, the Democratic Party. At the time of the founders, they thought slavery was a dying institution. But in the 19th century, that had changed. They now began to talk about slavery as a progressive institution. And why not, as George Fitzhugh 
one of the principal pro-slavery propagandists argued, isn't slavery the same thing as what we are reading about among European socialists? What else is slavery, Fitzhugh argued, but a practical form of socialism? Fitzhugh even tried to sell his idea to black leaders. He defends slavery as an early form of the welfare state. Fitzhugh argues that in slavery, unlike in capitalism, the slaves who cannot provide for themselves are looked after from cradle to grave. If you took the logic of that argument, the idea that, that the slave plantation is a kind of extended family, that from each according to his abilities to each according to his need, Marxian principle, that this was not only an excuse for enslaving black people, but there was nothing in the logic that prevented you from enslaving a white guy. Why not enslave white people? Or at least reduce them to an economic status a little better than that. Why not also extend slavery into the northern free states? Lincoln thought he discerned the hand of a plot here. Would it be accurate to say that one of the key differences between the Republican and the Democratic Party is that the one party is founded on the idea of keeping the fruits of your labor and the other party is founded on the idea we get to take your stuff either for our own use or because we've got some other better use for it. That became the credo of the Democratic Party. The great opponent of the Democratic plantation was Abraham Lincoln. In a phrase, Lincoln described the evil of slavery at its core. You toil and work and earn bread and I'll eat it. Whenever I hear someone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried out on him personally. Lincoln ruthlessly exposed democratic hypocrisy. Wolves devouring lambs, not because it is good for their own greedy maws, because it is good for the lambs. For Lincoln, the fundamental sin of slavery, curiously enough, was not its racial aspect. That comes after. The fundamental sin of slavery is theft, because it says, you work, you toil, I will take the proceeds of that. And Lincoln's great anxiety was to point out how Northern Democrats had conspired together with Southern Democrats to promote justifications of taking away the fruit of other people's labor. Gelso is exposing the progressive strategy of blaming slavery on the South. The Northern Democrats were in league with the Southern Democrats, making slavery the sin not of the South, nor of America, but of the Democratic Party. Northern Democrats were fully as complicit in this as Southern Democrats the powerful New York Democrat Martin Van Buren applied the idea of rural plantations in the South to urban centers in the North. When new immigrants came to America, they were poor, insecure, desperate. Some came as indentured servants. Like the slave populations in the South, they were a vulnerable people. Van Buren created an army of big city bosses like Boss Tweed, who ran Tammany Hall in New York City, who would raid the treasury and use the money to create a patronage system that would keep immigrant populations collectively dependent on and voting for the democratic machines. Like in this scene from Gangs of New York. Hey, I'm here to take the Welcome to America, son. Your long, arduous journey is over. 
So before the Civil War, the Democrats' majority status depended upon rural plantations in the South and urban plantations in the North. Lincoln warned that the goal of the Democratic Party was to turn all of America into a plantation. To stop Lincoln, the Democrats went to the war and demolished the old Democratic plantation. Republicans took steps to integrate former slaves into American life to create for the first time a multiracial democracy. Republicans pushed through three landmark constitutional amendments, freeing the slaves, guaranteeing the right to vote, and securing equal rights under the law. The Democrats overwhelmingly opposed all three, and these were the Northern Democrats. The Southern Democrats had not yet been let back into the Union. The Democrats needed a new enslavement strategy and someone to implement it. Democratic President Woodrow Wilson knew the national government had defeated the old slave plantation, so he and other progressives wanted a new plantation system ruled by the national government so it would last forever. Wilson's first step, federal segregation. He forced his departments to establish separate workstations and restrooms for blacks. Wilson's second step, racial terrorism. Wilson screened the film Birth of a Nation in the White House. It spurred a national revival of the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan had previously been confined to a handful of southern states. Now, it stretched from coast to coast. The Klan became the domestic terrorist arm of the Democratic Party. Wilson was the first progressive president. Progressive here means progress toward the powerful centralized state and away from the American founding. In the Democrats' new plantation scheme, the big house is the White House and the plantation master is the president. Now let's turn to modern racism, racism in the post-war era. Here's what the left says. The Democrats may have been the party of racism a long time ago, but they underwent a conversion. Now they are the champions of civil rights. The left insists that in the 1960s, the two parties switched sides, brought about by Richard Nixon's Southern strategy. Supposedly, Nixon converted the racists in the Democratic Party, the Dixiecrats, into Republicans. So today, Democrats are the good guys, and Trump and the Republicans are the bad guys. Did Nixon have a campaign strategy that appealed to the racists of the Deep South? No one has uncovered a single racist campaign statement by Nixon. So the left says Nixon used crime and drugs as a code for racism. But in fact, Nixonian resentment was directed against the Vietnam draft dodgers and the militant anti-war protesters and the drug-smoking hippies. You might recognize the unofficial anthem of the Nixon voters composed by country singer Merle Haggard. We don't smoke marijuana, give us the weed. 
the emerging Republican majority is supposed to be the architect of Nixon's Southern strategy. But Phillips reveals that Nixon didn't have a Southern strategy, he had a Sunbelt strategy. Nixon wanted to appeal to those urban, upwardly mobile voters stretching all the way from Florida to California. This strategy included the peripheral or upper South, but it did not include the deep South. Nixon won the Sun Belt, and he lost the Deep South to Democratic segregationist George Wallace. One of the first things Nixon did when he took office in 1969 was to introduce America's first affirmative action program. Nixon is helping minority people through his black entrepreneurship program. Now, would a racist president playing to a racist base give legal preferences to blacks over whites? Absurd. And what about those Dixiecrats? How many of them became Republicans? Here's a list of senators and congressmen who joined the Dixiecrat party or voted against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In the House, just one switched parties, Albert Watson. In the Senate, just one, Strom Thurmond. All the other Dixiecrats stayed in the Democratic Party. They died as Democrats. Case in point. Today, our country has lost a true American original, my friend and mentor, Robert Seabird. This is the former Klansman who led the filibuster against the Civil Rights Act. Obama and Bill Clinton attended his memorial service. They mentioned that he once had a fleeting association with a Ku Klux Klan. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. He was a country boy from the hills and hollows of West Virginia. He was trying to get elected. The South's enduring shift into the Republican camp came not in the Nixon, but in the Reagan era. Reagan defended patriotism, free markets, family values, religious liberty. He was pro-life. It had nothing to do with race. As the South became less racist, it became more Republican. So the progressive Democratic claim that the parties switch sides and the Democrats are now the good guys and Republicans are the bad guys is a big lie. Time to fast forward to the present. The Democrats have just one card left. Charlottesville. supremacists and neo-Nazis in Trump hats. Doesn't that prove that racism today is on the right? Jason Kessler organized the Charlottesville rally. He is routinely portrayed as a right supremacist and a right-winger. But when the Southern Poverty Law Center looked into his past, they found an Obama supporter who was active in the left-wing Occupy movement. I exposed this on social media. He didn't like it. The Nash you. You go back to India. You shouldn't be here. Number one, you were born in India, and you're just like the other people coming over on these H-1B-1 visas. Hello, sir. Uh, how are you doing today? We don't need you. 
But what does Kessler believe? I mean, there is a problem with bankers. There is a problem with the wealthiest people in this country. He still seems to me to be part of that Occupy movement. I decided to talk to someone even more notorious than Kessler, the poster boy of white supremacy. Hail our people! Hail victory! Protests over Richard Spencer's visit turning violent. White nationalist Richard Spencer is speaking at the University of Florida. The governor, Rick Scott, did declare a state of an emergency. He's become kind of a symbol. Africans have benefited from their experience with white supremacy. If Africans had never existed, world history would be ex almost exactly the same as it is today. Yeah, you just if we saying, are the genius that drives it. You don't and get to tell me. Yeah, I do. Well, I will be. Because my name's Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer, founder of the so-called alt-right movement. Their movement is broadly referred to as alt-right. Richard Spencer, a prominent member of the alt-right. What does Richard Spencer actually believe? People have called you a Nazi. Uh, are you a Nazi? Oh, no, I, I, I'm not a Nazi. I'm not a neo-Nazi. I'm not any of those things. Now, you say you're not a neo-Nazi or a Nazi, and yet, in the event that you had right around the time of Trump's inauguration, mm -hmm. there were a whole bunch of guys who were giving the Nazi salute. You saw them. Sure. You didn't repudiate them. No. So you thought it was okay to have some Nazi salutes that in response to what you were saying. Um, I uttered the words, hail Trump, hail our people, hail victory. Doesn't hail Trump sound unnervingly like Heil Hitler? Uh, sure, it was, I was being Isn't that why you, is, you were being provocative. Isn't it fair to say that you're, that you know that there is a, a media left out there that is looking to pin neo-Nazism on the right and by doing this kind of thing, you're actually playing a part in a script. You're actually giving them what they want, which gives you a lot of media attention. It serves their script, but it actually hurts Trump. Uh, no, I don't think the alt-right has hurt Trump in the slightest bit. Would it be fair to say that you are not just against illegal immigration, but immigration, period? I would be actually happy to open the door to white South Africans. Would you be happy with an immigration policy that basically said, we want people from New Zealand, uh, Australia, uh, white guys from Europe, uh, Iceland, and South Africa. We don't want that many people from, if any, Barbados or Bombay. Yes. Now, this seems very different than, than Trump. And by that, I mean, isn't it true that the line that Trump is drawing is not a racial line, but a line between the legal and the illegal immigrant? He's, he's made a difference between illegal and legal, sure. But I ultimately don't support that. Trump was quoted in the paper as saying, if there's an Indian guy working in Silicon Valley and his visa runs out and we have to send him home, that's a loss. That's something we should try to prevent. You disagree? I do disagree with that. The H-1B visa program has been totally detrimental to white people. In Richard Spencer's world, what would you do with non-white immigrants who are here? Uh -huh. A good example would be me. I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. Would you send me home? I hope that we can begin to pursue a new policy of re-immigration. And that would be about allowing people to go home again. I mean, I hear you echoing a white Malcolm X philosophy. 
is it fair to say as a generality and as a, a succinct way to put it that you believe in segregation of the races? We do believe in separation, standing on our own feet, among our, among our own kind, and solving our own problems. And that's the only way you'll get a solution to the vital race problem in this country. And Mr. Muhammad teaches us to love our own kind and let the white man take care of himself. And so if you and Malcolm X were at the table, you'd get along just fine. I think we could have a respectful dialogue if Malcolm X were at the table. Do you agree that what you're articulating is a philosophy that was very prevalent among really progressive Democrats in the early 20th century? I, I am sure there are instances in which left-wing thinkers or entities adopted nationalism. What it means to be on the right, what it means to be a conservative, is actually deeply collectivist. It is not individualistic. Well, so as I would say as a conservative, I'm conserving the philosophy and the principles of the American founding. You're not. I've been critical of the American founding and throughout my writings in my career. So what's, what was wrong with the American founding? This notion that we will create a state to protect human rights or, or individual rights. I mean, no state in the history of world, the world, including the United States, was ever created like that. So all men are created equal, true or false? False, obviously. What about the idea no that- No one actually believes that. I mean, seriously, no one believes that. The idea that, let's say, we have a right to life, true or false? A right, I don't think we have rights to really anything. I don't think we should ever pledge allegiance or worship legal documents. And would you agree that at the end of the day, it is the individual who serves the state and not the other way around. There are duties that we have to the state. But this notion of a limited government, which, you know, as you know, the founders saw the government as the enemy of our rights. Uh, in other words, think, really. well, look at That's the Reaganism. Bill, well, let's look at the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law doing this, and Congress shall make no law doing that. So our rights, a First Amendment right, a Second Amendment right to own a gun, a Fourth Amendment right, are seen as protections against a government. No individual has a right outside of a collective community. You have rights, not eternally, or given by God, or, or by nature. Who, who gives them to us? You have them because you're a part of this community. Ultimately, the state gives those rights to you. So the state is the source of rights, not the individual. It simply is. What, what would be your take on, say, Reagan? I do not think that he was a great president. Who's your favorite president? There, there is something about uh, uh, Jackson. There's something about Polk as well, someone who only served one term. But I mean, Jackson and Polk, as you know, both Democrats. Uh, party, I mean, party is just the, the vessel that, that one uses. I mean, Jackson's the founder of the Democratic Party. You can find perhaps elective affinities, uh, perhaps kind of ironic affinities between myself as an identitarian and, and a progressive Democrat from the, the 1920s or something. Have you seen the movie Birth of a Nation? Uh, yes, I have. What did you think of it? Uh, it's an amazing film, one of the most important films ever made. Certainly a, a racialist component to that. It appealed to many Americans, including many presidents. Right, well, well that's my name. point, is it, that a progressive Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, shows that movie in the White House to the cabinet and this leads to a kind of clan revival around the country. So you see why I'm placing you in that tradition? Because those are, that's your team. Uh, if that's progressivism, then I guess I'm a progressive. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, international socialism. Uh, I, to be honest, uh, I, I'm not 
totally opposed to socialism when, when done right. Uh, I think we actually should use the government to benefit ourselves, the people of this country. I think we should have a national health care system. I think we should quadruple national parks. I think we should make this world a better place, and I think government has a role to play in that. Now, there's very little on which Spencer and Trump actually agree. Trump's a flag-waving patriot who cherishes the American founders. Spencer isn't and doesn't. Trump's a free market capitalist. Spencer prefers a strong centralized state regulating markets and dispensing entitlements. Trump wants to keep illegals out so legal immigrants and citizens, whether white, black, or brown, can thrive. No where they come from, no matter what faith they practice, they form a single unbreakable team. That's what we are. We're a team. As a nation, we're a team. Spencer wants only white immigrants. Trump believes that rights come from God. No matter what the color of our skin or the place of our birth, we are all created equal by God. Spencer is an atheist who believes our rights come from the government. They call him alt-right, but he's not on the right. He's not a conservative. He's a tool of the media to pin the white supremacist tail on the Republican elephant. He's part of the big lie. We've talked about the racist history of the Democratic Party stretching all the way to the present, but where's the racism now? The Democratic ethnic plantation has expanded greatly under Clinton and Obama. The historian Kenneth Stamp identifies the five distinctive features of the slave plantation. Dilapidated housing, broken families, a high degree of violence necessary to keep the plantation together, no opportunity, no one gets ahead, and a pervasive atmosphere of nihilism and despair. Today, we find those exact features in almost every city the Democrats control, in the black ghetto, the Latino barrio, and on the Native American reservations. This is racism's contemporary face. Democrats try to deflect attention to a few powerless white nationalists so that we'll miss the racism that is institutionalized within the modern democratic plantation. Trump, far from being the problem, is actually making things better. African-American unemployment stands at the lowest rate ever recorded. <laughs> to make America great again for all Americans. And watch the reaction on the part of the overseers of the Democratic plantation. And where's the fascism today? It's not Trump. He's an American nationalist who wants capitalism, limited government, individual liberty, and free speech. And nothing is more anti-fascist than that. By contrast, under Obama, we saw government control increase dramatically over banks, investment companies, energy companies, the entire healthcare sector, and education. This is state-run capitalism, which is the clinical definition of fascism.
A second manifestation of fascism today is the deep state. The Democratic Party under Obama and Hillary used the weapons of the state, the IRS, the FBI, the CIA, the Justice Department against their political opponents. I saw this with my own eyes, the gangsterization of the U.S. government and of American politics. This is about as close as you can get to institutional fascism. And what about the fascist insistence on cultural conformity, what the Nazis called Gleichschaltung? Today's left calls this political correctness. They use political correctness to establish a stranglehold over academia, the media, entertainment. This enforced monopoly of views is also an example of fascism on the left today. James O'Keefe is the founder and president of Project Veritas, a group with an unusual mission. <coughs> the media has protected the sacred cows, the Planned Parenthoods, the NPRs, the Acorns, and now Antifa. And they've only given you half the story, so in order to expose the truth, we have to dig deep. We have to go undercover to unmask what they really believe. What would you say is the ideology of Antifa? Well, they don't believe in free speech. They don't believe in the democratic process. They don't believe in individual rights. They don't believe in anyone has a right to express themselves or even exist if it doesn't, if it isn't consistent with their sort of revolutionary actions. In our undercover journalism, they actually joke about the fact that it's not self-defense. Now, if I think of paramilitary organizations that don't believe in free speech or tolerance or the democratic process, I think of not just the communists, but the fascists. And yet here is an organization that purports to be anti-fascist. Yeah, I, I think they have a lot more in common with the Mussolini's, the brown shirts, that we, in, in our undercover tapes, they, they're wearing black masks. That bears a lot more in common with the fascism of uh, the early 20th century than, than they would have you believe. Who is fueling or funding the groups loosely called Antifa? Uh, Tom Steyer's name came up a lot in California. He's a billionaire. Another name, that's come out publicly, uh, open source records, has been George Soros. George Soros is one of the richest men in the world. He styles himself as anti-fascist, but his own history has a different story to tell. When the Nazis occupied Budapest in 1944, George Soros' father was a successful lawyer. He lived on an island in the Danube and liked to commute to work in a rowboat. But knowing there were problems ahead for the Jews, he decided to split his family up. government official to take 14-year-old George Soros in and swear that he was his Christian godson. But survival carried a heavy price tag. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds, confiscating property from the Jews. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand 
and, and anticipate events. My understanding is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yeah, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, not, not at all. Not at all. It created no, no problem at all. No feeling of guilt? No. Well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets, that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. The issue is not what Soros did as a teenager. It is that today, as an adult, he sees nothing wrong with what he did and would seemingly be willing to do it again. Soros's self-justification echoes an argument made by one of the most notorious Nazis himself. During my work at the gypsy camp, I came across Mengele and watched his activities. I personally observed him infecting gypsy twins with typhus in order to observe whether the twins reacted differently or in the same way. Shortly after, after they were in, had been infected, they were gassed. Do you believe that your father was responsible for this? Personally, he did not assume he did it. He thought he is a member of a concentration camp. He is not responsible for it because he did not invent the concentration camp. Enough big lies. It is time to tell the truth. The progressive Democrats are the true racists. They are the true fascists. They want to steal our income. They want to steal our earnings and our wealth and our freedom and our lives. They're trying to kill America by killing the economic and political and religious freedom of Americans. My wife Debbie grew up in Venezuela and has seen firsthand a prosperous democratic country give way to socialist tyranny. There, a fascist regime is destroying the lives of the Venezuelan people. Debbie prays that America doesn't go down this road.
of the left. We as citizens have to do our part, as some did, even in Nazi Germany. Like Lenin and Hitler, Sophie Scholl came here to Schwabing to study. While attending university, she learned of the atrocities of the Nazis. She saw them. As a devout Christian, she rejected Nazi indoctrination and joined the White Rose, a group of activists horrified by German war crimes. She and her associates distributed pamphlets using Bible verses and philosophical arguments for resistance to national socialism. She showed us how one individual can fight to save a nation.
word that comes from Hitler's mouth is a lie. When he says peace, he means war. And when he blasphemously uses the name of the Almighty, he means the power of evil, the fallen angel Satan. His mouth is the foul-smelling maw of hell. individual can fight to save a nation. 
How do we, as a nation, fight leftist tyranny? Reagan knew how to fight. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And Reagan knew how to win. Fascism never comes to America. It'll come in the name of liberalism. And what is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, private enterprise, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says, less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket, and let me have more control of my own destiny. Trump is the inheritor of the Reagan mantle. Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? The parties haven't switched sides. The main issue separating them is the same as in 1860. You toil and work and earn bread and I'll eat. Lincoln exposed the Democratic Party as the party of theft. Republicans, he said, stand for the right of Americans to keep the fruits of their labor. Well, that's what Republicans stand for now. That's what Trump is fighting for. Democrats have gone from one theft scheme to another. You work and they take what you earn to keep themselves in power. Democrats were the party of tyranny and enslavement in Lincoln's time, and they are the party of tyranny and enslavement now. If Lee had been victorious at Gettysburg, that would have brought down the entire administration. And what the future beyond that would have been is almost unthinkable, because then where would there have been an American Republic to intervene against German militarism in World War I, or were still the universal midnight of Nazism in World War II? The consequences of Gettysburg, if they'd gone in the other direction, are simply enough to make the flesh creep. Lincoln was tough. He refused to give up his electoral mandate. He insisted it belonged to the American people. He united Republicans behind that toughness. Trump has Lincoln's inner toughness, but he needs the Republican Party to get behind him. Lincoln was the architect of a decent American nationalism. Trump must follow in Lincoln's footsteps. In this way, Trump can complete the task to which Lincoln dedicated his life, shutting down once and for all the Democratic plantation. A nation dies when its people are not free. It's our America. Let's save it for the second time. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task before us that from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The virgins where the graves of wrath 
please subscribe to the Detour Podcast Network on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review while you're there. You can also download the Stitcher and Podbean app to your device for free and search Detour Podcast Network and subscribe. You enjoy listening to the shows on the Detour Podcast Network and spread the word to everyone you know. Your word of mouth is our best advertising method, and we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. <laughs>